until I laid down at night. You seen your moms at anything or your sister? Nope. Just ignoring everybody, just avoiding. I was ignoring everybody. Yep. My mom was looking for me for about four months. And no you, you, you had a. Welcome to the show, Siobhan. Thank you. So what is your sober day? You come up on a year, aren't you? I'm 237 days today. And no, no counting, though. We're not counting days. <laughs> not counting. <laughs> so what is your sober day? When is a year for you? Because I'm not good with that math of one, 237 to 360. What is, <laughs> what is that one year mark going to be? Yeah, so it'll be May 9th. May 9th. Okay, so what was yeah. going on May 8th? mate for you of last year so around that time i was getting fed up i did a freestyle video on facebook and like i'm a rapper and i'm crying in the video but i'm just letting everything out and i watched the video probably about a hundred times it, it got shared like probably 20 times but i i watched it personally about a hundred times and i was like i can't do this no more i can't by this day, I was done. So you were just at that point of exhaustion then? Yeah. Because that's, that's where I, I was, I was too. Like, I didn't get arrested at the end. I didn't have, like, a crazy inciting incident at the end. It was pure fucking, here, just tell me what to do. I don't fucking know. I, I'm exhausted. I, I'm going to mm-hmm. die if I just keep going this way. Yeah. You know, I can't do this anymore. You know, I was 30, how old were you? I was 31 years old when I did that the first time. 34, I'll be 35 on Friday. Oh, cool, that's awesome. I just turned 35 um, this past September, so we're the same age then. So we're gonna really get a, like, understand each other's references. What was it that was driving your exhaustion towards the end? Because for me, it was pills. Yeah, I did cocaine and pills, but the cocaine was really what was getting me. Um, I just... I just couldn't do it. I have two kids. And also, I've been praying for a long time for God to just remove that. I wanted to stop. But in my addiction, I just feel like I had to do it every single day to kind of feel normal. Yeah. You probably weren't even getting high for the last, what, year? How, how, when did you stop? Like, I feel like I didn't get high for the last year. I just got <laughs> even. I just, like, I, always got even. I just felt like I do now normal. Yeah, but. I could kind of agree with that. Yeah, I um 2013 september is when i started okay i started back i relapsed but the very first time yeah i was like 19 and we'll even flash back to that because i and we'll get there in a second so towards the end though were were you were you sniffing coke or were you shooting coke i was sniffing it okay smoking it it and sniffing it Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't an IV person myself. I wasn't, I didn't trust it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't trust myself to try to hit a vein. I know, you know? right? <laughs> like, and I, and like, it's not like I don't like needles. Like, I, I love tattoos. Is you know, it's just a matter of I was afraid I was just going to miss and not do it right. I and know. plus, I, and plus, I was afraid that I would never come back from it. I know. You know, I love to snort, dangerously love to too. snort, you know, and. I was afraid that I would never want to snort again. And mm-hmm. and I was afraid to lose that love of snorting because of the high I would never achieve again from snorting, right. you know? 
So now you said 2013 was a relapse. So let's really, really flash back. Parents together, not together. When not they together. together, they're not together. Okay. Now when? Okay. So you grew up with a single mom. I did. Me and my so, sister, my mom. Sorry. Old, oldest, youngest. I'm the oldest. Okay. By how many years? Two years. So you, were you guys close or did you fight like crazy? Because two years is one or the other. There's no happy medium. You either fight like crazy <laughs> or your best fucking friends and your running buddies. It, it was kind of the same thing. Like we were best friends and then we would fight a lot too. Okay, I got you. Okay, yeah. so you were sisters and you were straight up. You were you were typical teenage sisters yeah. or whatever sisters. So how yeah. was that? And you grew up in South Carolina? I did in Charleston. Man, Charleston's a city that's probably been on the show more than any city, and, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I love it because it's such a coincidence that I ended up interviewing so many people in Charleston because I've been there once in my entire life, you know, and it was a long fucking time ago. But mm-hmm. it's so funny to me because my higher power, the person that I call my higher power, lives in fucking Charleston. Really? Bill Murray. And what's that? It's an all right place to be, I guess. No, yeah, but I'm I'm saying Bill Murray is like a huge like actor, comedian, you know, one of the yeah. best of all time. And he mm-hmm. says, "Fuck L.A., fuck New York. I want to live in Charleston." You know, he ha- he owns the baseball team there, the Muck Dogs. I uh, didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, that's Bill Murray's team. Yep, and that's my higher and I and I've always called my higher power Bill Murray. It's not that he is my higher power, but I call my higher power Bill Murray. You know, you're not supposed to have your higher power be a person. Um, but it's the idea of the way he lives his life is a very zen life. And yeah. so I, it's just so funny to me that I ended up talking to so many people in Charleston. It's like I'm getting gravitated to Charleston where my higher power is. And it's a really cool thing for me. Like, just like all coming full circle. Um, so have you always born and raised Charleston? I've always been right here. Okay, so you're growing up there with a single mom. When did you, like, discover drugs and alcohol? Um, I was 18. Okay, so you weren't one of those, like, I need to escape right away kids then? Hell no, my mama would kick my ass. So you were close to your mom? Yeah, and she did not play that. So... It was after I graduated, so. uh, So, okay, so now after you graduate, it's 2005, 2006, I'm assuming? Yeah, 2006. I was a year behind. Okay, yeah, so 2006, and now you're graduating. I remember those days. Mm -hmm. And you get out, now all of a sudden, boom, here's Vaughn, Vaughn, and she's a late bloomer, and she's ready to go. And green as hell. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, like. You know, those late bloomers, it's a dangerous thing to, you know, even Tasha has been on here. She was a late bloomer, too. You guys mm-hmm. have a, a lot in common like that. You're, besides Charleston, you're both late bloomers. Yeah. Um, she was, I think, 21, 22 when she got into shit, you know? So um, now you're 18. Are you, like, in school or something? How, are you meeting new people? What's going on that all of a sudden, like, you're introduced to all this? Are you putting yourself in those situations or are you ended mm-hmm. up in those? Okay. Yeah, I I put myself in those situations because I was always like kind of like a goody goody. Like I said, my mom she would kick me and my sister ass. Good so grades. I graduated. Yeah. 
So she was like getting to school. You know, you got to get schooled on. You got to graduate. Yep. So yeah. you get. Did you get into college too then? Since your mom was on you about your grades, or you just didn't no. care enough? Yeah, she just kind of just wanted me to graduate. I guess I didn't want to go to college, and she didn't really press it because I always was working since I was like sixteen. I had yeah. jobs in high school, so she wasn't really pressed on that too much. No, I hear that. I didn't. My and even my brother too. It wasn't our thing. You know, mm-hmm. we knew. You know, I even went to classes for about a year. Like I went to night went went to night school. Like mm-hmm. I'm the only asshole. It's 18 years old and it's in night school because I have two daytime jobs that I got to make. You okay. know what I mean? And I was living with my parents. And my dad mm-hmm. made really good money. It was not a. I didn't have a reason besides me just being a straight up workaholic at 18 mm-hmm. that I was working at UPS at 4 a.m. and I was working at CVS at 10 a.m. every day that I had to be at school at 6 p.m. every day. And after like a year, I was like, "Fuck this! I'm just gonna work." These guys yeah. are suckers. But yeah. <laughs> it's like they're working in class. I'm just making that money anyway. Fuck that. Yep. Um, and I, 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 I could go. School is important depending on what you're doing, in my opinion. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But if you're working in sales and in business, you have to get in the fucking business and work. And that's how you're going to learn your craft. You're not yep. going to learn that shit in the textbook. Now, being right. a doctor. Being a lawyer, being a there's a lot of things you need school for, in my opinion. But business, yeah. business shit, like talking to people and yeah. selling shit, you don't need to go to school for. And I was a salesman, you know what I mean? But I was a salesman. I didn't need to go to school. So to be that, you know, and that's yeah. what that was my manipulation came in though. You know, my me being a master manipulator and addiction came from me being a great salesman already. So okay. instead of me selling you on something, I was selling you on the reason why I was manipulating you to give me what I need. So oh. it was a fucked up thing that got rooted into my addiction eventually, too, unfortunately. But that that was for my story. So now for you, you're put you're interjecting yourself with this crowd, right? Now you're trying to find a new crowd. Yeah, I kind of um like I had a boyfriend around that time who he dropped out. So like I was hanging with him, his friends, hanging with some of my cousins who their mom kind of let them do whatever the hell they wanted to do. And I'm fresh out of high school. I'm independent now, so I can do whatever the hell I want to do. I can choose my own friends. I don't really have to listen to my mother, even though I'm in her house. I did what you asked me to do. I graduated. So yeah. Now, when does it go off the rails the first time? So I happened, the guy I was dating, he did not have a place to live. So when my mom left for work, like that morning, he was getting off because he worked at night. So I would sneak him in. And sometimes I would leave him in the house and I would leave. So this so happened that day, I left and I got a flat tire. And I didn't have a way to contact him. And my mom's going to be home in like three hours. What the hell am I going to do? So I happened to go to one of my friend's house in the neighborhood. And she was like 32, 33 years old. So she was more like advanced. I went over there. I'm stressed. And I'm like, what the hell I'm going to do? My mom is going to kill me if she finds this dude in her house. So she's like, I have something that'll make you calm down. And so she pulls out like this dollar bill and this white substance now at this time i have never seen coke i've never been around anybody who did it like i said i'm green as hell so she puts it to my nose and tells me to sniff and i did like maybe two one-on-ones 
but I feel like I didn't feel anything. Like, okay, I don't feel anything, but I'm sweating. You know, I'm yeah, you got, coughing. You, you got something caught in your throat and you don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to swallow. Damn, what you give me, bitch? <laughs> yeah, so that that was I remember the, the first time I did line of coke. I was like you're I was on I was like nineteen, you know what I mean, twenty years old, first time I did line of coke. And it might have been just around the same time as you, and I'm like, what the fuck is in my throat right now? Uh-huh. Like, it feels yeah. like I got a ball in my throat. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I that shit. That's kind so, of what it feels like, yeah. And then, but then it hit you, though? This is the crazy shit, because this you is how the devil, you. the devil is busy. Like, two days before that, my boyfriend, because he would smoke cocaine and weed mixed so he left like a little bit in my drawer like two days before that. So now when I get back home, I just want to see if it's going to be the same thing. Like I didn't feel anything the first time, but I forgot I had some at the house. So and you I had smoked. already smoked weed though. Yeah, I was smoking weed. Yeah. Okay. I so was... you were already comfortable smoking bud. So, yeah. okay. That, that tells me a lot. So that's why I was curious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had just started smoking weed. Okay. So, yeah, and then I got home. I got the tire fixed. I got home in time. So now I want to be relieved. I'm like, let me see if this is going to do something. And I felt something like the third time. And that was it. You know, it's not that crazy to me, though, Yvonne, because, like, <laughs> I did pills. You know what I mean? I did muscle relaxers and I did painkillers. I did Norco. You know what I mean? Like, Vikes and all that shit, and then I did even perks like the tens and all that. But it was this one time that I did them that it took off, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like that obsession. It was that high that I needed at the time, and it was that high I craved for ten years afterwards. And like I had done pills like a lot that summer, but nothing like that was like it was always like a binge. I would mm-hmm. be with somebody and they would have a bunch of pills and I would do a bunch, but just like eating a bunch, no big deal yeah. and just chilling. And, um, but yeah, it wasn't like, I didn't obsess over like, Oh, wear more. I need to buy more. But it wasn't until a few months later. And all of a sudden I got this one high that it was just like off to the races where I just chase that high. And so it happens how it happens. So now you get home and you, are you by yourself or is your dude still there? And you're like smoking this. I put his ass out. So what do you mean? Went, like, when I got there, he was so sleepy, and I woke him up and tell him to leave. Like, we had an hour before my mom came home, so I was able to, um, you know, experience that by myself. Okay, so you knew what you were doing then. You knew how to do it. You saw him do it, so you knew what to do. Yep. You're green, and it's 2006, 2007. It's not like the internet is what it is today. Yep. Because, you know, people are watching it, unless they know, and, like, you know, you know. But you couldn't just, like, Google shit as easy. You could get your computer out, and you mm-hmm. could Google it, but you couldn't just take your phone out and Google some shit within a second like you can today. Oh, hell no, and, man, you know, head. in 2007, like, it doesn't sound like it was long ago, but it was fucking long ago, <laughs> technology-wise. Like, we've come a long way. We couldn't even stream anything until That's 2010. True. We couldn't even stream yeah. Netflix. Netflix was DVDs in 2007, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they weren't doing streaming. So, you know, a lot has changed in the last 15 years. It's crazy yeah. to think. It's It blows my mind sometimes to think, right? Like, because we grew up around the same time. So mm-hmm. you've 
you know, you saw things like, remember when Wedding Singer came out with Adam Sandler? I do. And that movie took place in the 80s, and, but it was 1997. And that movie takes place in 1987. It's mm-hmm. only a 10-year fucking difference. But when you watch that movie, it feels yeah. like you're in a time machine watching that it movie. Does. But mm-hmm. yet, 2007 is now 15 years ago. Damn. You know, and even, remember Days and Confused? Mm-hmm. Days and Confused came out in 1993. 93. It takes place in 1976. That's a 17-year gap. That's just as wow. fucking long as when graduated mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. Again, it's not that long if you think about it in that, but it really is long when you compare it because, like, that is like, you know, how we grew up and we're watching like the the oldies stations were 20, 30 years ago. You know, Mm -hmm. the Nick at Nights and the classic rock and the old stations like the Motown and shit. That was only 20, 30 years ago. Now Mm -hmm. that's us. Like, mm-hmm. it's so weird to think about that, but now it's a I new know. year, and now you start doing that math, and you're like, damn, we're old. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> so, you know, you couldn't just Google how to smoke some Coke, so you would have to have seen that. That's why I figured you had yeah. saw him, and then you probably marked it in your head, like, okay. I, I did. That shit. I did. And you... When you smoked it by yourself, you said to me five minutes ago, you said, I experienced that alone, which Mm -hmm. tells me that you had quite the night. I did. You were ripped and you were probably obsessed with how you felt. I was like, damn, like, it's a feeling that I didn't want to let go, I'll admit. Yep. It's a scary fucking thing that people don't understand unless you've been there of how our brain rewires when we get a dopamine hit that is so unexpected like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? You know, and I was hooked after that. I almost died several times getting ready to overdose like because I kept wanting the high goes so quick that I don't know that you can't do too much. You know, so the shelf life, yeah, with coke, like the half life, yeah, I know what you're saying, but you can do too much. You know, it's it's crazy to think about. We so I know you're gonna understand this reference, but you've seen the movie Blow with Johnny mm-hmm. Depp. Like the guy that directed that movie, Jonathan Demi is his name. Um, the director of that movie, he died from a cocaine overdose two years later. What? Yeah, I never knew that. Yep. Yeah, the guy that directed that movie, he died of a cocaine overdose. So, you know, and that was early 2000s. But you you don't hear about that shit because he wasn't, like, a huge name. But it's just one of those, like, little, like, pieces of trivia that have always stuck in my head. is Because he was a great director. I've liked him and other things that he did. Um, And I'm a fucking nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, oh, this guy directed. I'm a nerd. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to TV and movie knowledge. And yeah, when he died, I'm like, oh, my God, the irony of fucking. That fucked me up just now. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's crazy to think. I actually had a guy on the show um, earlier in December um, that he is an older dude that he was actually buying blow from a guy who got it directly from George Jung in Boston in the 80s. 
like the dude that was meeting Pablo right. and go and going back up to Boston. Uh-huh. He was selling directly to my guy's dealer in Boston, where he lived in the 80s and 70s, getting that fucking fresh blow. I'm like, dude, I would have needed a rehab, too, if I was doing his I blow. I know, right? Doing Pablo's blow. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder why you need a rehab. Exactly. But, like, damn, bro. Um, so <laughs> now, do you tell your boyfriend now, like, hey, baby, I just, like, smoked your shit, and I really want more, because, damn, no wonder why you do that. Hell no, I didn't tell him. I hid it from him, but he found out. Okay. I find it out like a couple months later because he found so, it in my car. <laughs> so, but yeah, but he didn't. He didn't realize it was missing from your dresser. He must have forgot about it. Yeah, it's true. He yeah. didn't really do it like that. Like he would smoke weed, but the the weed and the cocaine it was like every now and that's what I'm saying. He left it with me, so because he that knew makes- I wasn't going to do it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. then. OK, mm-hmm. so he just a pothead that all of a sudden sometimes will sprinkle a little sprinkle a little coke on a little sprinkle So a couple of months into you guys dating, you guys are in the car and what happens? He has my car. I let him use my car. He comes back with an empty bag like what the hell is this? And then I finally confessed because he's like, you know, I've been acting weird lately. And I think he probably knew something was different. But then I don't even think he cared about me really like how I thought he did because I continued to get high and he knew. I guess he was like, well, I can't stop her. But you didn't talk me out of it either. Yeah. Well, how how much is he? He did you guys the same age? You know, you said he had dropped out. I don't know what that meant. Like, you guys the same age? He's like... Two years older than me. Okay, so yeah, I, I would consider that the same age. You, it, maturity wise, you're the same yeah. age. You know, women mature faster than men. We know this. That's so you, you know what I mean. You at 18 is like you at 21, and him at 21 is like him at 19. So, Hell yeah. <laughs> so you know, let's be real. So yeah, okay, you're the same age, and so yeah, I could see him just like not co-signing your bullshit, but just being like, okay, baby, just like. Be careful. Mm-hmm. I be trust careful. you. Yeah. yeah. I trust you. Um, yeah. Now, did you keep going back to that same friend to be like, hey, you got any more, like, what did you, in North, and when I lived in, I don't know if it's a Southern thing, when I lived in Durham, we called it white girl. Yeah, white, white okay. girl. Okay, that's that's what, I wasn't sure. So, did you just go back to your friend and be like, hey, like, what was that? Can I get more? How do I get more? Hell no, I happened to bump into someone who lived closer to me that had it. To be honest, I didn't end up going back to her until I relapsed. Like, hey, why did you ever put me on this shit? You know what I mean? Why would you ever introduce me to that? So I still hadn't even seen her since that first time she introduced me to it. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are looking for therapy and not able to get something right away locally, you can do that with them within 48 hours. You can find a therapist to get on telehealth with you. I mean, it's I haven't heard anything but great things from people that have already done it that watch my show or listen to my show. If you're looking to get 10% off your first month, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash MJ's PNP MCA. That is betterhelp.com slash MJ's PNP 
MCA. So you go back to her eventually. But anyway, did, who did you find? Do you knew somebody already that lived close to you that sold shit? Yeah, everybody was doing that shit. That's the thing. Like, everybody I was hanging around at that time, they were popping pills. They were sniffing coke. They were smoking weed and coke. So it was already right there. It was an easy trap to fall in. Okay. So, yeah, you didn't, not that you didn't stand a chance, but it was just, it, it became really accessible for you. And you knew everybody that did it. You knew the people that you could hit up. And you, were you were you not wasting a lot of money on it? Or were you? Now, at this time, I quit my job now because I want to get high all day. Yeah, but what so your I mom quit. say when you quit your job? You can't be like, Mom, I quit my job to do some blow. You know, she so. put my ass out. She put me out. There she is. Then I started like that's not even. Right <laughs> yeah, my curfew was like three o'clock. I started breaking curfew. I wanted to do. I want to get high. Three a.m. curfew. So, you so can't make. You couldn't make a three a.m. curfew. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Right now, your mom is drinking her head. <laughs> 3 a.m. Bond. 3 a.m. That was my curfew at 19 years old, and Nothing I was breaking. Nothing happens shit. after 2 a.m. That is true. <laughs> and you're sitting there like, Mom, 3 a.m. is ridiculous. I should at least have till 4 4:30. <laughs> yeah, shit. She put my ass out. Good for you, Mama. If you're listening, you're watching. <laughs> good for you. I salute you for doing that shit because that's what you have to do, though. Yeah, you know, that's true. That's, that's what you need to do, because if she would have enabled it, you know, you could have went on for longer. The longer you enable someone, the longer they think that they're getting away with something. That is so true. And the longer it's okay to get away with it, because you're being allowed this, you're, you have this leash, and then the leash gets longer. It's like, it's like if you have a dog, and you have their, and except for when you're letting somebody go, you have a retractable leash. How mm-hmm. that's just going to go for, you know? Yeah. So where did you go when she put you out? I went to my cousin's house, and it was on after that. I really can't do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. So. Yeah, now you're 19, living on your own. Yeah, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. So what are you, like, because, you know, Coke isn't Coke isn't that cheap. You know, it's not crack. Right. Crack is cheap. Right. So, like, if you're not working and you're 19... Mhm. What's going on? Are you selling? Like, how are you? You like I, affording your mm-hmm. habit? I started stripping and I started prostituting. Okay. Yeah. And that was at nineteen. Twenty. Now I'm twenty. Okay, so you were you left at nineteen, and then within like a few months, you realized like I got to make some money. Mhm. I would say it probably took about six months for me to really get like at that point. To where I don't want to work a regular job because I want to get up whenever I want to. I want everything just to kind of be accessible, easy. I'm like, damn, I should have been doing this. But then I felt empty deep down inside too. Like afterwards, I just felt empty. Yeah, I mean, how how long did you dance for? A year. Okay, so you from 2021, um, but the sex work that went on longer. Mhm. It did. Because that was over. that was something. Because if you're at a strip club, you got a boss. You got to be presentable. Mm-hmm. You got to have the makeup ready. You got to, you know, not look like you're looking like shit. Not look like you're on a three day bender. So it's yeah. not as easy 
to maintain that job if you have to show up at certain times still. Now, if you're doing sex work, you don't have to worry about that as much. That's true. And is, is that what happened basically within I, a year? I, I was doing private shows in hotels so I could strip and I could prostitute. And these were multiple people who I knew, like they would bring their friends. And, so this was, was, and this was Craigslist days too. Let's be real. This is when exactly. Craigslist was popping off. You know, <laughs> this was like late 2000s when, you know, if you know, you know, Craigslist was the place to be when it comes oh, to that yeah. kind of shit. You know, yeah, you well. found uh, parties, you found everything there. You found drugs there. Everything was on that fucking site. And oh it's crazy to think about that site now because, uh, you know, it's been so long since I've been on it. And mm-hmm. it got it got so rearranged a few years back anyway because of that Craigslist killer or whatever. But, like, yeah. I remember that shit, Vaughn. Like, you could literally... Because when I was in addiction, I wasn't in relationships. I didn't... Mm-hmm. I, did, I got into one relationship in addiction. That was my childhood best friend. We were together three years, and then she committed suicide. She was bipolar, schizophrenic, and alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to be in relationships with people because I didn't want anyone to get... Dr- I knew I was a drug addict. Right. I wasn't one of those people like in denial about being a drug addict. Yeah, you I, didn't, I didn't want to bring anybody down with me. I wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't the kind of person that wanted to have relationships. But I'm still a fucking man that has needs. So mm-hmm. Craigslist. It, yeah. it, was, it was Craigslist, you know, and it was just that's that's what you did. Um, so I get that. So now you're doing all these parties and you're realizing, oh, I have my own hours. I'm my own boss and no one can tell me what the <laughs> fuck to do, right? I was having the time of my life, kind of, until I laid down at night. You seen your moms at anything or your sister? Nope. Just ignoring everybody, just avoiding. I was ignoring everybody, yep. My mom was looking for me for about four months. And Didn't know you- where I was. You you had already bounced from your cousins then, mm-hmm. because she would have went to your cousins to look for your ass, and then she'd have been like, "Oh, Vaughn's gone." Me and my cousin ended up falling out because so you I- were because you were on drugs and being a prostitute. Yep. And your I cousin doing, didn't like that. Yeah, I was doing. Yeah. 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 So. How how much older is your cousin? Can I? How is your cousin like your age or? Yeah, she was like a year younger than me. Okay, so your cousin, yeah, all of a sudden, she's like, yeah, girl, we're partying. And then all of a sudden, she's like, whoa, what are you doing, Vaughn? You're yeah, taking I this was, way too far. I was doing so much. We got into it, and then I ended up leaving her spot. So my mom didn't know where I was. Nobody knew where I was, really. Were you motel hopping? Mm-hmm. How did you know? <laughs> of course I was. I think, you're like, um, I think you're like the 98th person I've interviewed for this show. <laughs> So I know the tendencies by now, <laughs> and I've been yeah. to rooms for years. And yeah. you know, you're not trying to pop credit. You're not trying to hop into a place for a year and settle down. You're trying to bounce, um, but you're trying to stay maintained and staying local so you can always get high. So what do you do? Is you motel hop for thirty dollars a day? Yep. Listen, like That's I said, expensive. no, yeah, I, I like I said, I know North Carolina. And it was, I think, 30, 40 bucks a day for a motel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so back then. I would, yeah, it, this was like five, six, no, six years ago when I was living down there. So I could imagine it was around the same in Charleston for you. Uh-huh. That's like 200 bucks a week, you know, mm-hmm. for, that's $800 a month for a shitty apartment. <laughs> for a shitty studio apartment. You know? Pretty much. 
So, but how, how long does that go on for? Because you said you relapsed in 2013. Yeah. Now, when did you, now it's like, I'm trying to catch up the math in my head. So it's like 2007 when your cousin kicks you out. Yep. And you are like now motel hopping. Mm-hmm. How long does motel hopping and those private parties going on for you before where you stop the first time? Probably like four or five months. Oh shit. Okay. So you went on until like 2008. Call Almost. It. Like right at the end, I want to say like October. I ended up leaving the hotel because this dude, like, he flipped on me. This guy was getting ready to, you know, he flipped on me. And then he took half of the money, so he robbed me. So I ended up moving in with a friend now. And then my cousin saw me standing outside smoking a cigarette one day, like another one of my cousins. So he went and he called my mom. And my mom came like, hey, at this time, I'm, like, strung out, um, skinny as hell, I'm stressed, but she's like, you need to come home. I went home and I got clean. So, and, yeah, and that, that was, was right before I turned 21. So that was October 2008? Mm-hmm. So that was seven? Wait, what year is my daughter born? 2008. So yeah, that's what, 2007? All okay. this happened like within a year time span. Shit, so you just like, you went hard fast. I did. I went hard fast. I now, did. when you just said, when was my daughter born? Were you already pregnant when you got clean? Mm, no, I got okay. clean 2007. My daughter was born in 2008 of December. I was already uh, clean by then. Yeah. Okay. Was- okay. So you get home to your mom's and it's 2007. She drives you out. You know, mm-hmm. you're not now you're not doing coke. Are you drinking? Are you smoking? Nope. You're 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 just abstinent now from all that I'm shit. Clean. Yep. Now, are you going to meetings or nope. are you just oh, so that okay, so that is I knew there was going to be something. So, you were doing it straight up on your own on your own will. Yeah. And just like, oh, I'm strong enough to do this. I can do this. Yeah. Now, and then you meet a dude or is this a dude from your previous life that comes back into your life? I meet a guy. It, this so happens now I'm clean, but when I meet this guy, I'm back in the same thing again. He's doing pills, he has coke. I told him I was clean when we met, but then somehow I get back in the same cycle again. So here I am again, you know. But then how I long? get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how long was it that you were like clean at your mom's until you met him and you you fell off again? <sighs> Like seven months. Okay. It was a while, yeah. Yeah, and now, now, and then you meet this dude, and so it's easy to be. Definitely don't feel bad about it because if you go back through the episodes, you will hear a lot of other people say, "I met this guy" or "I met this girl." Yep. And then it was it was a wrap from there, you know. Yep. So it, it people were influenced. A lot of us are codependent too, so you know we're influenced by the others around us that are co-signing our bullshit, and you yep. know. Um, now, but when you get pregnant by this dude, you stop again? I stop. I get clean. So I'm yeah. like, I, I, it must I hate be... to say, I hate to say it's easier, you know, with Coke. Um, but luckily it, it, there's no, it's more of a psychosis thing when you're stopping Coke on a dime. 
you know, yeah. when you're pregnant as opposed to stopping fucking alcohol or opiates or Xanax, you know, mm-hmm. stopping them is a really dangerous thing on a dime when you're pregnant. A lot of people need to go on methadone just to have a safe pregnancy, you know? Wow. So, like, yeah, like, it's a good thing that, like, Coke, you can, when you stop it, you go through the mental withdrawals of, like, the psychosis part of it, but you don't really have, like, the the stomach cramping, keeled over kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of shit. So that's good. So you stop again, and I you had the baby. Um, how long after you had the baby do you get back into it, though? So she or was you born stay good for a bit? Five years. I relapsed after five years. Damn, so you stayed good for, like, five years. So you were, in 2008, you had your baby, and then five years later, you, know, you said originally 2013, so... 2013 rolls around you know you're five years clean you're not working a program but still you're five years clean right and you got this five-year-old girl are you still with mm-hmm. this dude is this dude still in your life as the baby dad at least or no he's he baby daddy. We, we already broke up the relationship was over um just because of co- coke and shit or just because, because of other my, shit okay yeah you and him weren't working but he it was he, he was still hopping in though he's still in the life yeah, he was in my daughter's life. Okay, cool. Okay, now, in 2013, what's going on to where you're just like, I need to do some fucking coke again? So, 2012, I got married. I married this guy. And we got married, like, after four months. So, we didn't really know each other. And we kind of, like, what up. Well, I found out from the same cousin that put me out, like, when I was on coke before. We got back close. So she ended up telling me that my husband was fucking one of our cousins. But I don't think that they were having sex. I think they were just hanging out. But at the time when she told me that, like the suspicion, I relapsed. I relapsed. I just wanted that pain to just go away. That It was familiar to me. And then another guy I was talking to around the time. We were just friends. He, was, he wasn't snorting, but he was smoking the weed and the cocaine. And then I would watch him do it. And then slowly I would take a hit. Now this is going on. I find out that my husband, even though we're not together, that he might be having sex with my cousin. So now I want to get high. And I was back. This time when I got back, this is the third time. I went real, really hard. Like, this time almost killed me. Yeah. And, I mean, it's... It's going to go harder this time around because you didn't work a program in between. You know, it's not like you learned anything in between. If anything, all that happened was your disease got stronger in between. You know, when we quit drugs and alcohol and we don't figure out why we drank and used, all our disease does is it does fucking push-ups and waits for us to relapse and then comes back even stronger. Um, like when I, when I relapsed, I was with alcohol. I was extremely fortunate that I was so indoctrinated with the rooms and the big book and everything that I had learned that I was still working my steps daily, even in active drinking. Wow. Um, and I didn't drink every day. I didn't drink alcoholically in that nine months. I didn't drink to escape one time in that nine months Mm -hmm. because I was so indoctrinated with the program that I knew if I was drinking to escape, they won 
and I was an alcoholic. So I was so, and then all of a sudden, of course, but I am an alcoholic, Vaughn. So uh, there was that time that I did over drink and I woke up hungover and I said, fuck it, I'm done again because I am an alcoholic, you know, and I quit. Um, But still, you know, if I wasn't indoctrinated with the program and I was on my own will, I would have done drugs too. I would have drank alcoholically. I would have went hard. So, and that's what happens with people that I've seen that die on a relapse or they don't make it back into the rooms is they don't indoctrinate themselves with, you know, learning about their disease and why they became the way they became. Once you learn and understand that, you have a lot more empathy for yourself for if you do relapse and you can understand yourself a lot better and you can understand why you used, why you drank. Until you figure that shit out, it is a very dangerous game to play, whether you're using or not. Like, you say clean, I can almost say you were just a dry, you know, dry person for five years. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden now you start off and you go way hard again. Yeah. Because you never learned why you got high. You just now you knew you had a tool to use to get high again. Right. You know, you never learned any other escapism tools like Mm -hmm. meditation and shit, natural shit, real life shit. You know, you you, all you knew was that thing that you avoided because you knew that thing was bad for you and illegal. Right. So you just avoided it. It's not like you stopped it because you knew it was bad. You you know, it's a different kind of mindset to have. So you go back to this and and you said you go back to the same girl that you saw five years before. I end up going back to her to confront her this time. To confront her. Now, did you confront her before or after you relapsed? After. So you got high and then you were so (laughs) pissed off at this bitch for introducing you to coke in the first place that you went back to her house to say, bitch, why did you make me find coke? Why did you do that? Like, what the hell? Like, even when I was in my addiction, I would never introduce someone it, it, it was my fault, but I just feel like if you we were cool, then why would you do that? Well, as somebody who has introduced people, <laughs> I can tell you it's because I love the way it made me feel. I love the way it helped me feel. I yeah. love the way it made me not think. And if you were looking like I were looking... Mm-hmm. And that was my solution to my problems. This is, I'm trying to help you with, this is how I fix my problems. Right, yeah. So, you know, it, I hate to say in her defense, but if she doesn't know a different way for you to feel better, and if that's honestly the genuine way that she knew, she wasn't being malicious in my opinion, unless you know otherwise, unless she straight up, unless I'm wrong and she straight up told you, yeah, I was trying to ruin your life, bitch, ha, 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 but I doubt that. I don't think that. Yeah, I I never thought of it from that perspective. Yeah, you know, and I I like to play devil's advocate, you know, this is probably someone who's not even that big in your life anymore. Right. Um, But if you think about it, you can let that go because she wasn't trying to be malicious. She was literally just being like, hey, girl, this is how I do it. I don't know any other way. Okay. And then, you know, somebody else taught her that. 
You know, right. somebody else taught her that coping mechanism. And then that was the only coping mechanism you knew for a minute. Mm -hmm. That's so, true. you know, we know we're a product of our environments. We're a product of the people that have raised us and that, that we learn from. And so, you know, I, I, I hate to say, but for your own sake, right? For your right. own sake of what you've been through in the last 20 years, mm -hmm. you can let that one go because, you know, I don't think she was trying to ruin your life. I, I think she was literally trying to help your life, you know, in a fucked up her way mind. in yeah. her mind of like, oh, man, I know exactly how you feel. And this will make you feel. And, and, and it sucks because it's a drug and it sucks because of what happens. But I'm sure if she, you know, is even, you know, paying attention to your story still. And she knows that you're sober now and knows what you've been through. I'm sure she feels horrible for you at introducing. Like, I know I sold a pill to a dude that he had already relapsed, right? Bullshit. And he had hit me. And his brother had told me, don't sell to him. And I was buying from his brother. And he's like, don't sell to him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, it's okay. And, like, this dude's like, no, 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 fuck my brother. Like, I'm already relapsed. You can sell to me. It's fine. And I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. I'm not gonna get in the middle of this. I just need some money here. Right. I'll, sell, I'll, I'll yeah. sell you. I'll sell you two, whatever. It's, it was only two. And then mm -hmm. two weeks later, he was back to shooting dope. Ended up back in jail, and then killed himself. Oh, um. So you know, I felt responsible for a while. That like, you know, I gave him pills. Oh my god. But also, he was gonna do what he was gonna do, right? That's and true. he and he already did relapse. According to him, he might have been lying to me and manipulating me just to get him from me. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know, but I'll drive myself crazy trying to figure out an answer that I'll never get an answer to. Why look for an answer when you're not going to find one? All you're going to do is get get driven crazy by your own imagination. That's true. So, you know, I hate to, you know, get, take her side, but I know <laughs> what it's like to be on her side, though. And, yeah. and I, I never want to, I never want anything malicious to any, and I sold drugs, you know, I sold, mm -hmm. I sold Perk 30s for a lot of years, mm -hmm. I sold Xanax for a lot of years, and I'm not proud of it, but I did what I had to do in that moment to survive, and, mm -hmm. um, and in order to stay high, and in order to, I thought I was helping people, in a sick, twisted thought, I'd rather you see me than some shady person that's not gonna, that's gonna beat you for money. Right. That's, that's true. Gonna, that's going to have some pressed fentanyl in those pills. I'm selling you legit pills from the pharmacy. Right. This is a real good shit. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm like, when I say I'll be there in seven minutes, I'm going to show up in seven minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to make you wait around like an asshole. You know, like I'm going to answer. I'm going to be a good dealer. I'm going to be mm -hmm. the one that answers their phone and shows up on time. You know, and so like in a fucked up sense, I'm thinking I'm helping people. Right. You know, so... It's it's a real struggle on the other side too. Of we see people get hooked, and then you feel that responsibility of like that I like that Steve Urkel effect. Did I do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. You look back and you see them all strung out, and you're like, they weren't strung out when I first sold to them, right? You know. And then yeah, you go back to that Steve Urkel, and it's like fuck. Um, so you go back to this girl in 2013. And you confront her. Did, did she say anything? Did she, like I actually messaged her, um, but no, I never got a response. I haven't spoke to her. Okay. 
That's fine. And, and like I said, because probably she might have, yeah, it probably is. And she might have got your message and felt so guilty. Yeah. If I would have got a message like that, you know, <laughs> I would have been like, oh my god, I would, uh-huh. and I would have felt, I would have felt horrible. Yeah. So you know, now you said it was was on again, like once you got back into it. Oh hell yeah, it was on. You, Real and you hard bro- now. broke up with your husband? Yeah, we broke okay. up. Yeah. And where's the five-year-old? Is she with your mom, or is she with you, or is she with the dad? Or She's with her dad's mom. I'm back and forth working. So, yeah, I had space and opportunities to do these things, because I didn't really have her, like, right there under me. So. Yeah, because you didn't have to worry about, like, getting her to school on time. Right. I just had to worry about going to work at that and what, time. And what were you doing for work? I was managing at the gas station in um, Mount Pleasant. Okay. And and is that overnight hours? No, it was early morning shift. Like, okay. I had to you be had there like shift. five. Yeah, five in the morning. I would be dog tired. Like, wouldn't even have slept. Yeah. Fucking up. Like, making mistakes. And yeah. you're and now you're how long were you at that job before you had your relapse? Mm, it wasn't that long. It was probably like five months. But you're making decent money. Yeah, I was making decent money. And then you had a relapse. How fast do you run out of that money with that relapse? To be honest with you, it just seemed like I always had money for it. I swear it just seemed like I always had but I was making pretty good money. Okay, so you didn't have to get back into some shady shit. You were able to afford your habit with working at the gas station. And that's what made it even worse. Yeah, it does. Where are you living at? I was living in West Ashley. I had my own place. So you were able to to afford your own place and your own vehicle and your blow. And my habit, yep. Were you drinking too? I was drinking. I started drinking when I was like. 23 I started drinking beer never really like liquor I've never been a liquor person but I started drinking beer like Mm -hmm. 24 so yeah I'm drinking a little bit not heavily I'm just really want to just get high more than anything okay um now you're but you were drinking but you still had no urge to get high like you did Mm -hmm. have an urge but you knew that you couldn't get high Right, and my you would was, drink your beer, and then you'd be like, "Man, this isn't hitting it. This isn't what I'm looking for." And like, so now when you got picking, and basically, how long does that run for? Where you can get away? Let me rephrase this: How long <laughs> do you get away with pulling the wool over people's eyes that you're back on coke? You know what I mean? How long are you Ooh. able to fool everybody? Years. This time, yeah. Now this time, Vaughn's like, I'm in my, I'm almost thirty. I'm, a, I'm a grown woman. I know how to lie. I yep. know how to manipulate. I know how to fool you, and I'm gonna get you. You're not gonna, weird. you're not gonna get me again. I was I, just I, a nineteen yeah. year old girl last time. No wonder I got caught. I'm a woman now. Exactly. I, I got this shit. <laughs> I know. I know. That's a whole different confidence, though. When you can pay your Listen, I was a functioning addict for 10 years. And mm-hmm. when you're a functioning addict, 
you get this like confidence about that's what it was. You show up, people. I I talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, I didn't go to family reunion. I didn't go to fa- I didn't go to functions, parties. I didn't go to holidays. I did. I, I did too. <laughs> so you know, no wonder why people didn't know I was. You know, because I wasn't that emaciated drug addict. You know, even though I was on opiates for a decade, I was still mm-hmm. a heavy guy. I you know a big a bigger frame guy. Yeah. You would never look at me and be like, "Oh man, you're on drugs." Exactly. I, I, Ironically, the only year that I was like healthy weight, like a really like in shape weight was 2011. And I wasn't on pills that year. Wow. The year I wasn't on pills was the year I dropped the weight and I was really healthy. And then I was in Massachusetts. I was living with my buddy Jeremy in Massachusetts and we wrote a script together. Like I was Mm -hmm. living my best life. I I was drinking, but not alcoholically. I was just more of a party kind of a drinker. And, you know, I would smoke weed, but, you know, not like in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It was just like a long day of work, smoke a bowl, go to bed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, or like smoke a blunt after work kind of deal, like go on a blunt ride and go to bed. You know, it wasn't like malicious. Um, but, yeah, when I when I got back to Jersey, you know, two of my best friends got into a really bad car accident on Christmas Eve on 2011. Oh. They almost died. And uh, that was, like, my excuse to leave Massachusetts, to be like, I got to be close to my friends. Mm-hmm. And I get back to Jersey, and within a month of being back down there, I get back into pills again. Damn. It was a wrap. And then I gained all the weight back and everything. So, like, you know, when my family was seeing me, I was just a sweaty, fat dude, you know, who you're supposed to be sweaty if you're a fat dude. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like I was sweating because they... I was sweating because I was on pills. Right, they, they didn't I was know. Sweating because I, I was a fat dude. So you know, and right now, if you're in my family and you're watching, you're laughing because you know, like what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, like you remember that 2011 when I was skinnier. <laughs> I wasn't on drugs then. I, that was the year I was not on drugs. Uh, it's so fucking oh, weird to think about, Vaughn. The way this shit that we do, you know, through the years, like it's so the look back. I oh, know. And even this, we're grazing over shit, you know? And that's mm-hmm. the thing is, like, even talking in long form, you can't hit everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're you're doing this for so long. You're, you're hiding it. Yeah. What does it hit the fan? And when does it hit the fan? Everything hits the fan last year. It hits the fan. Um, COVID? Somebody, <laughs> no. I had somebody who was in my house that I was cool with and they took a picture of me taking a bunk. Now I had people who would know that I would buy from or like my friends, my parents knew because I told my parents because just in case of anything happened to me, I wanted them to know what I was doing. Like I'm just not ashamed to tell them like, hey, I'm back on coke. You know, I'm doing pills. I'm living kind of wild. But besides that, like the jobs, I got it working in two different banks. I'm working on a yeah. car dealership. I got like in another relationship and got engaged. So like nobody knew that this person took a picture of me and that's when everything hit the fan. Cause that's the proof right there. Like what the hell? She's back on drugs. You know, so why they take a picture of you, you know? That's the thing I still don't know. Like when I did confront them about it, even in my sobriety, I just keep getting denial. But my dad ended up telling me about it. 
that's how I knew it was true because the person they showed one of my kids' fathers, and then that person told my mom, but my mom already knew. So she told my dad, but no one told me. This like, episode hey. is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. So now when this, you get caught up with this picture, now does it get sent to your mom and dad, you said? Yeah, I don't know what the hell. I think she's the person, the, the girl who did it, I think she sent it to one of my kids' fathers and they maybe told my mother or showed my mother the picture. I know it was a picture that was taken of me because yeah. that was the damn proof because you couldn't, like, I was functioning. I, I was bigger than I am now. Like, I'm smaller now in my sobriety, so no one knew. It was like, here, this is the proof. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you had the same kind of effect that I did where it's not like we were emaciated looking like drug addicts. The right. Fu- the functioning addict and the functioning alcoholic is sometimes the most dangerous one for themselves because they yep. can go on the longest. Mm-hmm. We're not homeless in the street. Nobody's walking by us saying, hey, you drug addict. Right. You know, th- that's not happening. So, but the only thing is, the bigger we get on the outside, the more dead we are on the inside. That is so true. Because I lost 60 pounds when I got sober. I, I know what you mean. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, within the first two months, like, just from regular, I wasn't even doing anything crazy. I, I just know, wasn't right? doing drugs anymore. And that's backwards. It's just like, yeah. now I have people looking at me like, damn, you small, like, thinking I'm still doing it. I was yeah, bigger my, than <laughs> Yeah, my before and after is flopped compared to other people's. You, mm-hmm. know what I, you know what I mean? We're like, wait, which one was your before? Usually right. when you get sober, you're the bigger one, you know? Right. <laughs> like, I was like the Chris Farley opiate addict, where, like, I was just plump and gained weight whenever I was on drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, Chris Farley from SNL, like, every time he was on coke, he would gain weight. Every time he got bad on coke and dope, he was gaining weight. And every time he was clean and sober, he was skinnier and sm- he never skinny, but he was a smaller he was stature. Skinny. <laughs> yeah, he was never skinny. Um, but I love I love Chris. You know, I grew up watching that man. Hell and, yeah! And idolize, you know, like because I do stand up and idolizing and and, and stand up really started for improv. I, I did mm-hmm. improv comedy before I did stand up comedy, and okay. it was people like Chris Farley and growing up watching SNL that made me want to do improv. And then I did improv, um, and I was high on Xanax every single time. Um, and then they did like this thing where they had us do stand up comedy one night. And, um, after that, the instructor was like, Hey, you're, you're okay with the improv, but you should really tell stories and do stand up because that is definitely where you thrive at mm-hmm. is with the mic and doing that. I said, okay. 
it's that's what I love anyway. It's my favorite thing to do. So I just focused on that from there on, and I just did that shit in addiction, and and just you know I went from writing stories to writing jokes, you know, and now and then I got sober. It's like it was so hard for me. I had such a block for so long. Oh my god, I thought I was the only one. Because oh, yeah, you make you do mu- you write music, right? And yeah, it is no, it is such a block, but it's okay. That block is necessary. Okay. You you need that block. Trust me. That block is not really a block. Um uh, how should I say this? People say it's a writer's block, but I think it's actually an opportunity to explore and to learn in order so you can write. Okay. When, whenever I'm blocked, that is my sign that I need to go experience some shit mm-hmm. to unlock. Okay, I see what you're saying. You know, that is my sign that I've written all I've had to write for right now, and I need to go experience some life to learn some new shit to have something mm-hmm. to write about. And then I'll draw some more inspiration. So don't ever think of it as people get so caught up in that block. And the way that our minds work, Vaughn, is like that we'll focus and we'll hyper focus on the block and not yep. on how to fix the block. Yep. That's we'll true. spend eight hours saying, I have writer's block, I have writer's block, yep. I have writer's block, but not spend a minute thinking of how to fuck to get out of writer's block. You are so right. So, you know, don't get caught up on the block, get caught up on where you need to learn more in order to expand and grow into that's that's okay. how i that's that's what i did like when i i couldn't think to write any more comedy mm-hmm. so i got into doing podcasting and now i can write jokes all the time and now i can make people laugh all the time yeah and i'm not i don't have i don't hear the laughter anymore i mm-hmm. get the laughter on one but i don't hear the, them laughing watching watching the show at home or listening right. to the show at home. but that's okay because I was never one that really enjoyed the spotlight anyway of I didn't want the direct applause because it, mm-hmm. it made me feel uncomfortable. I yeah. just need to tell me, yeah, that was funny, man. Like, that's <laughs> all I needed to hear afterwards. Yeah. yeah, that was good. Like, when I got married, it was in my living room, Vaughn. I didn't want a show. I didn't Aww. need a crowd. You know? That's so I- sweet. <laughs> But I didn't want I didn't want a crowd. And if that doesn't show you of how much I felt about being on stage, I don't know what does. Yeah. But that I is love that people laugh. And I love to I love to show light in where our darkness is. And there's a shitload of darkness in where, you know, I came from and where we came from. Yeah. And not my family's an amazing family and they're still together and I'm still and I'm grateful for my family every day. That's not my darkness. My darkness is right here. There you go. You know, and but I can there's so much light in my head though now. Because it's the perspective of it. It's I don't mm-hmm. look for darkness anymore. I look for light. And you know, anybody can do that any time of the day. With even with death, you can look at death and grief and loss was my biggest trigger back in the day. And mm-hmm. you can look at death and then you can internalize it and you can let it like put you in the ground too. Or you can look at death and say, Oh, that's I'm and celebrate it. And be right. like, they're not in pain anymore. And I'm going to celebrate their life. But it's all about the perspective that starts here. Is I'm either going to mm-hmm. celebrate their life. Like when Betty White just died. Right? God. I know. Exactly. And Betty White died. You know, you put on Golden Girls over the weekend. <laughs> and, and to celebrate that woman's life. 
Yeah. You don't, you don't mourn her. You you don't mourn her. You celebrate no. that woman. Nine nine mm. years. You celebrate her. You don't mourn yeah. her. Just because someone lived to be twenty, you shouldn't get into your head about the mourning. You celebrate okay. that twenty years. It's very easy to mourn. It's very easy to paint yourself in that dark. I lost my best friend. You know, my best friend from suicide and my fiance. And I mourned her and I internalized and I took it personal for three years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my addiction, I spun out. But now I celebrate her life. When I talk about her, it's to talk about her in a good way. Right. Um, you know, it's to, it's to give people some peace of mind that they're not alone. It's to give people peace of mind that they can make it through if they want. It's to give people peace of mind that, like, you don't have to do what she did, you know? And we can make it out of this. Mental health mm-hmm. does matter now. Yes, we are, are, are going to listen to you. We are going to hear your story. 2015, mental health still didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but when she passed, nobody was doing shit for mental health in 2015. And if you say, oh, no, they did, fuck you. No, they didn't. At right. least in New Jersey, they didn't. And mm-hmm. New Jersey was progressive, you know, states when it comes to doing that kind of shit. And they weren't doing really anything yet because she was not getting the attention that she needed. And that is available today. There is a mm-hmm. lot more available today. Better Help Therapy is a sponsor of the podcast where you can, you know, um, get therapy online. You know, it's like, for example, I need a therapist recently. And mm-hmm. it was going to be a four month wait to see a therapist around here. To mm-hmm. be a new, new better help, you can see a therapist within 48 hours. Really? So, and, and on FaceTime. Yeah. So, you know, that shit is a huge difference that you can see a therapist no matter where you are. Yeah. So, she didn't have that kind of availability in 2015. She was broken. So, I can look back and I can be upset that we didn't have that technology to save her life. But, but no. We have this technology today because it was implemented because of people like her that showed right. the reason we needed this. Yes. So I now will look at her death as it is helping others to live. She died so that next girl who's bipolar, schizophrenic, can live. Mm-hmm. You know, just like all the addicts that died before me, they died so I could learn lessons that I didn't want them yep. to teach me, you know, so I could live on. You know, and that's that's how I have to look at that death. Now, when you finally, you know, surrender, did you go into a rehab? Nope. You did a cold turkey again? Or did you go to meetings? Nope. I only have a sponsor. Okay. But you have a sponsor this time. I have a sponsor. I wrote a 10-step guide. And I helped 10 other people. But I still feel that I need... I, I like, you know, I wrote the guide, I go by the guide, but I meditate every day. I'm doing it different now, but I still feel that I need like more information so this won't happen again. I was clean for five years. Yeah, so. de- yeah, definitely the biggest thing I would say and recommend this time, I mean, you didn't share your story in that first five years. No. This is the first time you've really shared your story, right? Yes. It is. So, how do you feel now that you really, you know, kind of word vomitate your story for the first time? I feel like a weight is left off of my chest. I really do. 
And the more you talk about your story, the more that weight's going to lift more and more. Um, that alone is going to keep you sober. Talking and connecting with people like myself and Tasha and other people in the other in the program mm-hmm. is how we stay sober. Okay. Um, meetings are important to me um, because it's that connection. You know, mm-hmm. we have a great connection right now. Mm-hmm. And, and we couldn't be any different, but we couldn't be more the same. Right. Um, you know, and that connection is based on our addictions. So when you go into a meeting, you meet 20, 30, 40 people just like me and you. Right. You know, who know what you're thinking already because they already thought the same shit. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. They already did the same shit, most likely, too, especially if you're in the yeah. same area. You know, me, you and I, we're in two I'm in the Northeast and you're in the South. And yeah. yet, you still have the same kind of tendencies. Yeah. Imagine people are in the same city as you. You're like going to the same block sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think the meetings could be really helpful for you because you're going to meet a lot of cool people. Even I know Tasha goes, you know, and yeah. she could probably introduce you to some cool places around there. But there's amazing, you know, there's a guy I talk to all the time on my show. He's been on a few times. He always says the opposite of addiction is connection. Okay. And, and, you know, it's connecting with people all the time and finding ways to connect and all that kind of stuff. And you're so close. You're right there. But you're doing a 10 step guide. Yeah. So, like, you know about it. You know about the steps and working mm-hmm. the steps is going to be huge. Like I said earlier, when I relapsed with drinking, I didn't go overboard because of the steps. Right. So definitely look into that. I think that could be really helpful for you. You know, okay. you don't you don't. Drugs aren't going anywhere. They're getting stronger. They're that's that's yep. proof. That is fentanyl is proof. Oxy is proof. Yeah. Look at morphine a hundred years ago, and then look at oxy in the nineties, and look at fentanyl today, and tell me that drugs don't improve over time. That shit is scary. So, all you can do is work on you because that shit's not going anywhere. They're okay. going to figure out how to make it more powerful, more potent, more addictive, whatever the fuck. That's all true. you can do is figure out the whys, the wheres, the hows, all that shit. And you will find that in meetings and you will find that in steps. You'll find that in therapy, you know, but talk. If you keep it in your head and just pretend like it never happened and then you just avoid it, it's yeah. going to come back so much worse again. You think this last run was bad? That next one will be even worse. Right. So, yeah, it's that connection. So, but either way, you did something today for the first time that you had never done. <laughs> yes. And I'm so glad you picked me to tell your story. You know, I appreciate that shit so much. And there's going to be a lot of people that are watching or listening that go, that's me. I know who yeah. that girl. That I did that too. Or I... You know, or they might have known you, or they might not, they might have known you, but not this. Right. And now they're going to understand you more. Yeah. You know, I'm empathy. glad I got it off my chest, though. Yeah. So I'm, I hope it wasn't too hard. And, you know, we had some fun. We had some laughs. So. Yeah, I loved I, it. It was cool. I appreciate you sitting down, taking some time and chatting with me. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right.